SheQuest podcast is heart-opening dialogues for self-identified women on a SheQuest, a movement moving forward, striving to live aware, bold, and whole. Welcome. Welcome to season four of I cannot believe that we are kickstarting another season here at Chiquis Podcast with more stamina and endurance than ever before. Woohoo! I'm your host, Estelle Thompson. What a time to be alive. Our hearts relentlessly attack with more turmoil, heaviness, and crisis. I've always believed that anti-racist work is soul work. And lately, I've been more than ever committed in unhearthing some of my own unconscious biases and, and dismantling racism. As you listeners know, shadow work is a fundamental part of SheQuest, along with learning art and yoga tools to make you comfortable with your discomforts. Therefore, this month, we explore and dive deep in the magic of Black women's stories and spirituality. I wanted this series of podcasts to be a flashlight into the invisible Maishi stories and amplify their voices and listen to their important wisdom. Today's guest on the show, you such a treat, Nikki Martin. Nikki is a writer and full-time yoga teacher living on the eastern shore of Nova Scotia. Her love of words and stories, both reading and creating them, started very young. And with the release of her first fictional novel, A Momentary Darkness, in August 2018, comes the realization of a long-time dream. Her passion for words and creating also shows up in her yoga classes. Through her own life experience and through teaching, she has come to believe wholeheartedly in the practice of yoga as one that can offer space to heal, find strength, build new habits, and that always provides an opportunity to take much-needed time for ourselves. You can find her teaching at a number of yoga studios in HRM or in her spare time somewhere near the ocean. And on a personal level, Nikki and I know each other from the yoga community here in Halifax. Looking way back at her, at the first SheQuest summer school, she was the first I asked to be featured on SheQuest so she could fill us in on her writing practice, and she did it with passion and gusto. Thank you, Nikki, for being here. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm smiling ear to ear. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for your presence. So, because being on the SheQuest is striving to live aware, bold, and whole, I start all my podcasts with asking my guests, what makes you feel alive today? Today, especially. Um, you know, that sense of being alive is deeply connected to a sense of being um, honest and aware, you know, not just of ourselves or myself personally, but, you know, of what's going on in the world. You know, I think now more than ever is a time for, you know, brave honesty and, you know, this sense of listening, of hearing, of seeing, of taking ownership of how we choose to step into the world and what the world actually needs us to be. Because 
um, for the world to be better and to change and to move forwards, we have to be brave enough um, to step into our destinies. Um, and I feel like now more than ever in my life, I, I feel, you know, like I have the confidence and self-awareness and practice behind me to, to start to step into some of the things that I have been meant to. Um, and that's what really lights me up. Uh, hashtag amazing. <laughs> Like people usually say, like, ah, uh, coffee makes me feel alive. Well, I'll add that to the list (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Oh, amazing. So I just love you so much. Before we dive deep in your story um, and hustle work is anti-racist work, just tell us about yourself, how, you know, your, at SheQuest, we call it your evolving she story. Tell us a bit about like your cultural upbringing, like who you are personally and professionally. I know it's a bit loaded, but um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know because I've been reading your post lately and I'm just... I'm just so enthralled and I just want to know more. So give us more. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so I grew up in Brampton, Ontario, actually, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. Yeah. I grew up in a very, an amazing family um, and sort of a family of pioneers in a lot of ways. My mom married a black man in 1969. Um, She was an activist and, you know, they, um, we're very active in community, and I just grew up in this house that didn't believe in judging people differently um, based on anything. You just, you were here in the world to fight for justice um, and the care of others. But in many ways, then, you know, there was a lot of things about the world that I wasn't prepared for because I lived in such a loving, sheltered, safe home in some cases. Um, you know, we were a pioneer family in the sense that out of all the people I knew at school, I was the first one whose parents were separated and then divorced. Um, You know, I had no other friends who had gone through that at the time when I did. I think I was in grade five, you know, and quite young into my teens, I became heavily involved in drugs and alcohol. You know, so I had a lot of things in my life, you know, before the age I was 20, that really challenged me to look at the darkest and most broken parts of myself. And I think that's kind of what set me on the story of, you know, where I am now is, you know, I had to face a lot of darkness and struggle inside myself, mostly. Um, You know, I never really had time when I was young to rage at the world because I was constantly in turmoil inside myself. I fought very hard in some ways to have an ordinary life, all while dreaming of this extraordinary life that I was sure was meant to be mine. And yet it just seems so far out of reach all of the time. Um, and probably about 19, 20 years ago, you know, I did go to university. Um, I did deal with, you know, being a drug addict when I was um, in my early 20s. Pausing this ever-expanding conversation to let you know that I've heard you loud and clear. Not everyone likes subscriptions and be tied up in memberships, and I totally get that. This month, you are finally able to partake in single-handed programs and workshops originally only available through the art and yoga channel access finally pick and choose the offering that's right for you make a one-time investment and access online for two months at a time visit estellethompson.com that's e-s-t-e-l-l-e T-H-O-M-S-O-M.com to check my a la carte art and yoga offerings 
and begin your journey into the ever-evolving creative and yogic lifestyle you've always wanted. You're welcome. Now back to our chat. A couple years after that, I moved out to the East Coast and, you know, started a life here that was a little simpler, a little more spacious. Um, and moved my way year by year closer to, you know, a spiritual life. It kept calling and pulling at me. And I, you know, I avoided it out of fear for a very long time because I think I understood there was something very big waiting for me on the other side of that one decision to be open. And, you know, when I was in my early 30s, I lost my father to cancer. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be with him when that happened. And, um, you know, I've spoke very openly about the fact that that was just this this most heartbreaking time in my life, but it was also a time that forced me to face that there was more to the world than the surface, um, and that I would indeed, at some point, like everyone, run out of time. And you know, was I going to continue to waste it and throw it away just because I was afraid of what might be a great and extraordinary life? Or was I going to finally start doing the hard and difficult work of becoming better so that I deserved it? I woke up many days and just thought, you know, you owe the world and yourself and the people who are no longer here the hard and difficult work of being better and of looking for the extraordinary. And that's what I began to do. Um, You know, and I began to pursue dreams like writing that I had long put away. And um, I discovered yoga and, um, you know, stumbled on this deep sense of purpose and destiny and You know, the last eight, nine years have been mostly that. I didn't know you grew up in Ontario. And did you move to Nova Scotia for school or it was just like by yourself on the whim or what was the call you think? Yeah, it's interesting because my mother and grandmother and brother had moved out the year before. And I think my mom just really like she had spent so much time, you know, raising us and doing everything she could in this rat race of Toronto. And as soon as she could get away from it, my sister and I had already gone to university. She got as far away from it as she could. And she moved like to a tiny town on the South Shore of Nova Scotia. Um, and my sister and I were really, we've always been really close and I was at university in Ottawa. She was in Toronto and being even that far apart for us was just too much distance. And I had considered moving to BC to go to writing school. I did get into like a part-time program, but, um, I knew I wanted to get to the coast. I knew I wanted to be near the ocean. I've always kind of had this call to be near the ocean. Um, and I remember I went to Toronto to see my sister and it was sort of like me, you know, us having one last goodbye so that I could go West. And we were sitting there one night, just having a few drinks. And we just kind of looked at each other and I don't know, even know who said it, but one of us said, let's just move to Halifax in a couple of weeks instead. And the other one said, yes. And we picked up our lives. And two weeks later we moved out here and it was just You know, this call that we kind of both had, her and I have always been on similar wavelength. You know, we're very close. We live, you know, three or four minutes away from each other right now. So so it was just like it was spontaneous and yet it made more sense than probably anything had for a very long time. Get over like your addictions and all that, because I didn't even know that either. Yeah. You know, when I was younger, you know, and I, I had, you know, struggle with drugs. It's interesting, you know, part of, I think, what pulled me into that world is some of what I see now, which was just a quest, you know, for spirituality. And, yeah. you know, I, I realized now I was looking for God. And I think, you know, it, you know, when you come across certain drugs, they can give you this sense of getting closer to a world that's under this one. 
it's not necessarily the right way to go about finding it. But I think when I started to have these glimpses of magic and mystery, when I was using drugs, it really pulled me in. And and before I realized it wasn't what it seemed, I was lost, you know, and I struggled for a couple years until very close to when I believe personally, I would not have survived. And I remember there was just a moment where I understood that. And it was almost like, you know, I heard like not a voice, but just the story of like, you can actually choose for this not to be your life. It doesn't have to end this way. There are greater things waiting for you, but they're not just going to come looking like you have to fight for your life. Mm. And it, it's like a switch inside me went off. And I just suddenly had the momentary clarity and strength to just take one step away. And that single step forwards, you know, propelled me over a, you know, a very long time of struggle and heartache away from, you know, that first addiction. You know, I was unfortunate enough, you know, to be, you know, just as easily consumed by, you know, alcohol. So obviously, you know, going to university a couple years later, and then, you know, the next many years of my life, um, you know, struggled with that addiction as well. But I think that first overcoming definitely laid the groundwork for me to, when I realized that drinking was going to destroy my life, I I had that clarity again of like, you actually have a choice about this. And, you know, I understood, I, I just became a little bit compassionate and forgiving with myself. You know, it's okay to be afraid of your own greatness or your own path or the challenge of getting to that truest self, especially when it seems so far away, you know, be gentle with yourself, but also enough is enough. It's time to move forward you know, that's what I did again. And, you know, in my, you know, early thirties, um, after my father passed away, I stopped drinking and, you know, I haven't had a drink since then. It's like you had the kind of wake up call, kind of like you saw your own like death in a way, you know, and that you're like overcomings, you know? Yeah. I really, like, I really connect with that. You know, there was a sense of understanding, you know, that I was choosing a path. And I think sometimes, you know, this is not what is anybody else's experience, but my, for my own experience, there was a kind of giving up, you know, in, in allowing my addiction to be what it was, Mm. um, you know, and I don't think that's true for everybody, but for me, it was, you know, I definitely was avoiding the necessary hard work of Mm. doing what I was meant to do with my life. And yet, ironically, all of that that happened is why I'm doing what I'm doing with my life. You know, so it, it also needed to unfold exactly that way as well. I have to write a book about that. <laughs> I know. One of these days, everyone keeps saying that. That's the reason why I'm having you on the podcast. And I'm like, no, talk more. <laughs> You're overcoming. Right. But when I have you on on the show, and I, I just want to say also, like, thank you so much for entrusting us with these words of wisdom in your life. Like it, for me, it's such a... Uh, just that, that little flashlight in just fills me like lands really deep within me. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We're in this like crisis mode right now in the world, like almost like a dark night of the soul, like globally. And these past few weeks, you know, this, this term really, I mean, we knew about the term, but like the term Black Lives Matters, like really, you know, kind of, it came in strong, (laughs) not strong is not a good word, but I want to know what that means for you you know, and how it has influenced your story. It's, it's, I mean, for me, it's interesting that it's happening now, you know, because 
I've struggled for much of my life to accept my blackness. Um, and it's just been this last, you know, year and a bit that I've really begun to recognize, um, you know, what that was about for me and that I, I understood from a very young age that, you know, my, my whiteness from that side of my family was a safer place to be in the world and in myself. And so I really, you know, never acknowledged that side of myself. And then I did a, a workshop last year at Kripalu um, with Sean Korn and Carrie Kelly on, you know, um, yoga and social justice and how we have a responsibility even in our rooms um, to be offering people space to become better so that it has an impact in the world. And, you know, some of those discussions led me to finally look at this part of myself and how I had been complicit in some ways because of my unwillingness um, to speak up or take ownership of my whole self. And to mm -hmm. also recognize, you know, up until that moment, I probably would have said that I had lived an entirely privileged life. You know, I've lived a very privileged life, but that I hadn't really been a victim of racism. And yet, you know, as I've assessed it over this last year um, and recognizing, you know, just the fact that I understood to behave a certain way and to not be to keep quiet in certain ways and to accept and allow certain behaviors, you know, that didn't necessarily seem hugely awful, but it's only now that I'm starting to recognize that those are as much a part of the problem as the big and awful stuff that we are seeing on a global scale. And so I think what this movement means or, you know, how it matters to me is that it's, it needs to, the truth of it needs to seep into our lives from the littlest to the biggest things. Hmm. And that no amount of action for for justice and equality is too much. You know, that if you're showing up over here, but you're not showing up in these other places, you know, if you're speaking out here, but you're quiet over here when it's convenient. And so I think what it's just given me is just a recognition that, you know, some people are meant to be activists and, and to lead in that way. And some people are meant to be educators and some people are meant to show up you know, in spaces and teach people how to find, you know, their inner light and love so that they can then, you know, hold that space for everyone, you know, that all these journeys matter and that we need to show up in all of our spaces with equal strength and willingness and openness. And I don't think I ever realized about this movement before. And that was a year ago. Yes, it was right at the beginning of May. You know, and it, it was weird because it ha I had this weekend and there were so many revelations and I actually started re-looking at my life and some of the circumstances and relationships and situations I was in. And, you know, for a while after that, I was really angry. Like I felt like I'd been fooled. Yeah. Realization must have been like, you know, like reassessing, like basically oh like God. your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I felt foolish and I felt guilty and ashamed. And, you know, I had so many emotions and I had to work through all of it before I could sort of get back to my even footing again. That like, how did you work through them? Well, I mean, there's, you know, two things I'm an advocate of is, you know, you have people in your life that you can be brutally honest with, especially about your own, you know, shortcomings, stumbles and, you know, fuck ups. Like you just need people that you can say, oh my God, I did this. And I, I need, to talk about it. Is your sister one? <laughs> yes, my, my sister is one for sure. I have another really good friend who actually went with me on that weekend, Jody McDonald, who is another that, you know, I can say all my worst things to and, and she's a great mirror for me and yoga, right? 
that that work of showing up, of looking at yourself, of acknowledging your brightest parts and your darkest hiding places. And, you know, understanding that, you know, first and foremost, we begin with self before we, you know, step into the world. That's right. And I'm I'm curious, and I don't want you to speak for her, but was I, I bet you the conversation you had with your sister would have been enlightening as well. Was it a, an awakening for her as well, or is she? Yeah, my sister is really insightful, and and what I love about her is she has a unique perspective on the world. She's one mm-hmm. of those people that will always offer you an insight you won't get anywhere else, and yet you know she sees me like I see her, which is the absolute best. Um, which is a challenge sometimes when we're sort of hauling out our, our darkest or hardest things, right? It's sometimes hard with that person who loves you the most. And yet it gave us both space to, you know, converse about moving forwards in the world in a different way and about maybe holding each other accountable at times, you know, maybe when we hadn't before, which is also really powerful work in relationships, right? And yeah, I, I feel I work so hard to be insightful. And then I meet people that are just insightful naturally. (laughs) Yeah, I know. She says things all the time, but I'm like, what? Why didn't I know? Get that. Like, and then you just got to remember, you have to be grateful for that. That person's in your corner and it's like, it's fine. I'll just come get your brain every time I need it. And (laughs) yeah. I know. I know. I mean, my husband, Scott, he's so grounded, like all the time, like nothing (laughs) raises him. And I'm like, I didn't like, that's probably why I married him. But yeah, Works so hard. <laughs> this even, and he doesn't even do yoga. <laughs> oh, I get it. I do. Yeah. I know. I know you do. Um, and I, I love you. You've talked a little bit about your father, but and about just your overcomings, and and I, I am really curious about this. You know, my for the past month, you know, I've been really waking up to the fact that my own what I have to unhurt about like unearth about being white and unlearning racism you know it's like it's grief work and I don't know I don't I don't want to just blurt that out because I'm just at the beginning of really making these connections you know but do you believe grief as, as something to do with unlearning what we learned about racism and I think we're of the same generation, like in, we're in our 30s, you know, and I like, yeah, I really do. Um, you know, I think sometimes grief, like many things, um, actually, just like the word racism, actually, is one of those things that we sort of put on one set of things. We think grief is only for this. Um, and we forget that grief and that deep mourning comes for all kinds of letting go, especially of the self we didn't really fully know, right? So there is this, we absolutely have to admit in this work that something has to be relinquished and let go of. And and there needs to be permission for a grieving of that. And that's challenging because some people are in this fight for their lives. And and so sometimes we feel foolish trying to justify the, the grief of just letting go of some version of ourselves we thought we were. And I think it's Part of the work is that we have to hold space for all of the human experiences right now, no matter how big and how small. I'm super proud to have partnered with Hippie, a Canadian skincare company, and offering you 30% off all their products. I've been using Hippie Groovy Glow 
poor hustler and Jomo mask and have completely fell in love with this not only natural clean but sulfate free alcohol free and did I say Canadian product? Hippie's mission is to simplify your skincare routine and bring practical effective solutions to your moody skin. Their belief is that feeling beautiful in your own skin is a right, not a privilege. Hippie's offering SheQuest podcast listener 30% off with the coupon SheQuest30. Go to www.hippies, that's H-I-P-B-E-E-S.com and claim your 30% off any product in their shop today. That's SheQuest30. S-H-E-Q-U-E-S-T-30. I'm really excited to bring this mindful and sustainable plant-based skincare in the SheQuest family. Enjoy glowing skin. Bye. And not all of them need the platform of being given a voice right now in the world. You know, there is a space right now for one very big thing to be shouted. But it doesn't mean that when we sit with ourselves, we can't acknowledge that these other things are present. And I think grieving them is a very important part of being able to be the next whole version of yourself. You know, I obviously I've I've done a lot of reflecting and just thinking and journaling on all that stuff. And like I started making these links because like I, as you know, like I call myself a grief activist. And when I tell people like, everybody grieves. There's no, you know, we're, we're all grieving (laughs) and grief work is soul work. And I'm, I met with so much defense, you know, people have this just like narrow view of grief. You know, you can only, if you've like lost a a loved one, you know, and I'm, I'm there shouting. I'm like, no, but grief is so wide, you know, like you're grieving if you don't love like your body parts, like you're, you're grieving sometimes for like the soul of the world. Like you're grieving, like there's all these like doorways that open us to grief really. And it's, it sounds really silly, but like I had never made that connection with, my unlearned like being like we're all racist you know and like everybody being so like I feel even emotional like talking about like so defensive about like you know no I'm I'm not a racist but it's like wait wait a minute like yes like we're all racist do you know where I'm coming from like I I had never made that connection and and Nikki I literally like I woke up in the middle of the night I was like I was like it's the same freaking thing (laughs) And the other thing that made me think that, and you can stop me at any point, but it was because I was reading all these articles about these Black women just saying how tired and exhausted they were, you know, about like just talking about their experience. And I was like, that's how I feel with grief. Yeah. <laughs> like, And not to say like our experience are the same, not that way, but like in, in a way where like, I feel, I feel I'm repeating myself, you know, (laughs) all the time. And I was like, and it's from there that I was like, holy shit. It's like this had just never made that connection. And so that's why like all my interviews I'm having now, it's like, uh, have you, and you, you had, you know, in your answer, basically you were saying, you know, yeah, grief has something to do with unlearning racism, like for sure, you know? Well, and and that pattern we have, we're so afraid of grief in some cases of experiencing it that we hold on even tighter to the story of who we are. 
That's right. And so it's, it's why it's so hard sometimes to have these conversations or for us to move on and to face, you know, who and what we are. And as you know, some of what makes it a little easier is just the practicing of it. However messily that comes out, right? It's just the over and over again until you start to get it right, until it starts to stick. And when you say that, and I'm like, oh my God, anti-racism is a muscle. Yes. <laughs> like I, I would say always, like in my workshops, you know, transition workshops, all this stuff, I was like, gratitude is a muscle. Grief is a muscle. And fuck, now I just like, last week I was like, oh, anti-racism is a muscle because like, and, and you said it so eloquently, you know, we feel so ill-equipped when it comes to grief, how many times have we heard, like, I don't know what to say, you know, to somebody who's grieving or, and it's like the same, do you feel it's like the same conversation, but like around racism, you know, yeah. you know, I don't want to say something wrong, blah, blah, blah. So we say nothing or just like silence. And it's just so wild. And I feel I'm so like, in, we all are, you know, in training, but, um, but you kind of revert back to our conversation. Like, how do you think like white women can, can help. Well, I think, you know, a big part of it is that same work on ourselves, right? So, you know, the practice of being uncomfortable, which, you know, we do beautifully in yoga. It's what we practice, you know, most of the time is how to be uncomfortable and how to move through it or be with ourselves in it. You know, so I think it's undertaking those practices on your on yourself. You know, it's yeah. the reading and the educating and the willingness to continue to show up, to be curious you know, and to do enough of the work on your own so that when you do move into spaces and then we interact with each other, we've laid a groundwork so that not everybody is starting at square one together. And I think, you know, I by no means have the experience of some of these black women and their, you know, platforms and feeling like they're educating people from, you know, the beginning day after day after day. But I think some of it is, you know, doing that work yourself, like taking charge of your own evolution and your own self-betterment, and your own self-study, so that you come to the world better, not perfect, but just better. And so what you have to offer is, is from a place of, of progress already, of practice, of understanding. And when the um, discomfort arises, you know, you're in a moment now of evolution and growth with someone else, which is a relationship, rather than them having to offer you something, which is a very different kind of relationship right? Instead of together rising, there is a someone having to pull you up, which is energetically exhausting for some of these, you know, people doing this very hard work, I think. This is so good. (laughs) (laughs) I want to share with you something. I'm, um, I'm so inspired by how angry black women are and how they are. So that's something for me, like I'm so inspired because like, I'm so afraid to be angry in public or like anger is so shamed. Right. Yeah. And I just love like, they're so angry and there's, there's so much rage. And for me, like that's so alive, you know, and I'm just in complete awe of that. I I wonder if you've picked up on that or is just my lens of. Oh, definitely. You know, and I think they're entitled to it. You know, I notice my own racial biases and prejudices that are, you know, society based show up when, you know, why, why do they, why do they women have to be so angry? And then I'm like, this is curious, right? Someone's taught me this and the, the labels and the languaging that shows up even as me 
you know, in me as a woman of color. And so it gives me perspective on the work even I have to do to release some of what's been learned in me for many years. And, you know, I had this amazing yoga teacher, still a dear friend, Leslie Bishop. And I remember, you know, because anger is something that I struggle with. And I remember in my, I assisted her on a teacher training. And there was one day where she said, you know, every emotion has a wisdom quality. And the wisdom quality of anger is diamond-like clarity. And I just had this moment where I thought, you know, it's not that we just want to release ourselves to our emotions, but like, isn't, you know, you know, when you get angry, you also usually have some kind of like insight or something shows up for you and you're like, whoa, you know, this is why I'm so angry. Or you see something about yourself or the world and you understand in that moment. And I think that, you know, there is so much wisdom in this anger that we do. We need to, I don't want to use the word celebrate because it's tragic that we are here and that this anger has to be a force. And yet we do need to recognize that it is justified and there is something behind it that has a lot of wisdom for all of us. And I I think we need to listen. It's tragic that we are here. It's so beautiful. It's so tragic that we're here. It is. I know. It is. (sighs) You know, and, and yet, like what, you know, the question is always, no matter how it is, what do we do with it, right? It could be absolutely beautiful and perfect that we are here, but we still always have the choice to celebrate it or miss it because we're too distracted doing something else. And I think it's the same with this being what it is right now, right? There's still a choice. Some people are going to turn away. Some people are going to try and fight very hard to go back to their lives without noticing. And the rest of us need to say, not this time. Tell us. How can we start widening our our lens around anti-racism? I think, again, you know, a lot, it's it's two big things, right? It's self-study. Yeah. And it's education. Yeah. Um, You know, and I think the wonderful thing about the world we live in right now is both of those things can be undertaken to some degree in community. And community is the most powerful thing we have. Mm -hmm. Right? So, you know finding ways as we work through some of these resources, right? A lot of them can be undertaken in groups as part of book clubs. You know, you can join together with women and other movements to learn and educate yourself. And, and you know, some of it can be done absolutely at home on the couch by yourself. And some of it can be done in community, whether it's online or through Zoom or slowly, hopefully soon, you know, stepping into more and more spaces out in the world, you know, and even, you know, the work of self-study in the yogic path can still be undertaken with a sense of community around you to, you know, remind you to stay steady and to remind you to get back up when you wobble or you stumble or fall and to, you know, reflect for you the kinds of things that are changing around you and the reasons that we are, you know, doing this work. But I think that's the biggest thing, right, is that it's it's work. It's not easy. It will not be a momentary thing. You know, we cannot show up today and post and shout and scream and by Monday you know, be back to the mundane. This is a fight that is going to take time and effort. So people need to be really willing not to let it weigh them down and to move on. We need to stay steady. The more I realize a true line really of yoga is about stability, isn't it? Yes. It's steadiness, right? It's, we are learning how to be steady in ourselves and to be steady in the world. You know, and no matter what storm comes at us, no matter what is going on, there is a sense of, you know, of being anchored to something. 
and it is vital, right? We cannot really like, we can't accomplish anything if we aren't steady, if we aren't stable. And so the work always begins with ourselves. And that is not like a singular and selfish thing, but it is an important thing, right? We build that groundwork, that foundation, and then we can show up in the world and be steady. We can be less reactionary, which we've all seen, you know, helps us have better conversations. When we disagree with somebody, we can stay and we can breathe and we can hear and listen and compromise and converse and get somewhere. Um, so I think it's vital as we move forward from all this and through it. I'm, I'm curious, do you have like favorite personal tools for self-growth? Like tell us a typical day for, for Nikki, like your soul ritual. And this is a big important section in the podcast where I like, I personally get so inspired to know, you know, other people's like sadhana, what that's that look like, you know, in terms of your lifestyle. Yeah. Well, right now um, I have, you know, two daily uh, yogic practices. Um, and in the morning right now, I'm doing more of a devotional practice. So I've, I've learned recently that, you know, my struggle with things like judgment and, you know, not always hearing people um, has a lot to do with my own story and struggle of self-love. So I've sort of dedicate my morning practice to devotion. You know, I get up, um, I sit I do some kind of breath, pranayama. Um, I'm doing a devotional meditation right now. And then I do like a, a mantra uh, for usually about half an hour. And that's my morning practice. Sometimes it includes, it's funny to say this, but I mean, sometimes it includes asana. But really meditation, um, breath and mantra are like the staples um, and anchors of my practice. Um, and I do the same thing in the evening. I sit, I breathe. Um, I meditate, um, and then I do mantra. And again, I focus on the heart, you know, just trying to find this place, um, within myself, um, that I know can hold the whole world. Um, you know, and I'm just working on that in between all that, you know, I try to fill every day with some of the things that bring me that sense of joy and connectedness to the world. So whether it's nature or the ocean or my nieces and my sister or silence and solitude, or ice cream, <laughs> or, you know, three guilt-free hours in front of the TV watching something that makes me laugh, like laugh and laugh and laugh. So it's trying to recognize that what I need is allowed to be different day to day, and I'm not accountable to anybody for what that is. It's, it's you know, it's about me because I want to be able to do then the work of showing up in the world and offering and giving and leading and guiding. And I can't do that unless I've done it first for myself. Uh, I don't know if I have any more questions. <laughs> my questions. <laughs> do you have like, what about writing? Do you have a writing practice? Like, do you write every day or how does that look for you in like a creative sense? Yeah. Writing is really interesting for me. So I, um, I don't have a daily writing practice as far as sitting down to write. Mm -hmm. I do, however, and I always have included in what I consider my writing practice, the things that I absorb that I know will become story at some point. And for me, that can be anything from like details in a room, like if the light is catching a plant a certain way. Or if there's a sound and a hum in the room that makes me feel a certain thing in a moment, 
you know, a color I spot out of the corner of my eye that gives me a memory or a feeling, or even some of the work I do playing with my own, you know, trying to figure myself out and think about myself or think about someone I know and, and what their motivation might've been for something. So, you know, all of that for me, I consider writing. It's my, you know, my brain loves to take details and file them in places and keep them for later. But I can go months and months without ever actually sitting down to turn that into anything. You know, I, I spend probably, you know, three times as much time doing that and filling my cup and playing with my creative brain and poking and prodding at things. And, you know, I write a lot of stories in my head that I watch like little movies and then I let them go and I might never remember them again. You know, I've always believed not every story is meant to be written down. You know, I try to trust my instincts. And then every once in a while, the story kind of catches hold and I feel it go from my brain straight into the center of my heart. And I know that's the one I'll write. And it's almost always like that. The next question, Nikki, are like answers. Are you ready? Yes. Um, Do you have a favorite mantra? Yes. Be bold, be brave. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How about a favorite flower? The lotus. You know what? Nobody has ever said the lotus on the podcast. What? Yeah, since I was a since I was a kid, when I found out what it symbolized, I knew that was my flower. How about a favorite book you've read about anti-racism? Yes, White Fragility, Robin yeah. DiAngelo. Yeah. Cool. How about a favorite? Do you listen to podcasts? I do. Which one are your favorites? You know, definitely one of my favorites is Citizen Well. Okay. What's it about? It's a social justice podcast, but it brings in a lot of like wellness. So you get a lot of yoga teachers, a lot of um, people in the, you know, people who overlap those two worlds. So you get a lot of spirituality, but also a lot of truth and justice. And I find it very powerful and it's held me accountable a lot of times. And I like that. (laughs) I have to check it out. Yeah, you would love it. Absolutely love it. (laughs) I think I know the answer to the next question, but uh, yoga or running? (laughs) (laughs) Yoga. (laughs) A book or Kindle? Book. And maybe ice cream, but what's a favorite treat? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely ice cream. (laughs) Uh, All right. So kind of one last question. It's a bit loaded, but I have faith in you, Nikki. All right. I'm ready. (laughs) So knowing what you know now about your story and how it's been influenced by, you know, Black Lives Matter, what do you wish for this new world that we are creating? Like, how do you, what's your wish for it? This new, like, I really, and I'm asking, it's a new question I'm asking because I really feel that's what's happening right now. It's like, where there's a chaos before this big crafting, you know, of this new world. Do you have anything to say? Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because what first came to mind is just sort of where we began, right? I, I hope the world is more honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that's very powerful because, you know, and especially in our world of wellness and yoga, you know, the world is not going to be all light and all one thing. But I think honesty is beautiful that we recognize there is the light and then there is the shadow that is cast, you know, but I think in a more honest world, you know, we can call ourselves on things. We can be, you know, we can start to have healthy, fulfilling, true relationships with ourselves and with others. You know, we can acknowledge the things we're not doing well and be working on things better, not be holding on so tight to these stories that have us locked up and suffocating. You know, so 
I, I absolutely hope the world is more loving and peaceful, but I don't think that will come without truth. And so I hope for truth and honesty. I love that. Nikki, you're a gift to the world. You really are. <laughs> where, where can we find you and how can we support you? Yeah, so I share a lot like of words and thoughts on Instagram. I um, My handle there is Nikki, N-I-K-K-I underscore possibilities. Um, I just launched a new website, NikkiPossibilities.ca, which has, you know, my free YouTube channel, has my teaching schedule. Um, I share wherever I'm speaking like this, links to all this kind of stuff that I've done. Um, and my book, A Momentary Darkness, you can get it on Amazon and other places. Um, there's a couple local stores in Halifax, um, like the bookworm on Spring Garden that carry it. So uh, bookmark, sorry. So yeah, I'll take you know, any and all support, even just a comment or a heart on a post, I'll take that. <laughs> go follow you, everyone, uh, to go check out your website. I didn't know you have a website. That's incredible. Just and, came and, out. <laughs> and your that is huge. And, and your book as well. And so we'll put the links on there. I just want to say just I appreciate you so much and taking your time and having this conversation with us. It's so... I don't even want to say it's timely. It's 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 meant to be out there, and uh, you're so eloquent, such a uh, an artist, and I just feel so lucky to be even like your friend at all. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I mean, I feel the exact same way. So this is um, one of those things that you know fills my cup, fills my heart, and definitely gives me hope about the work we are doing in this world. So thank you. Same. Namaste. Nikki. Namaste. This podcast was produced by Tosh Taylor of the Podcast Hub Productions. Find her online at podcasthub.ca.